0: Ever wonder why 95% of leads do not convert? Why cold call rates are down and prospects don't open our emails? Why our responses of robocalls calls and implanting pixels to track user interaction, mostly without permission, is backfiring spectacularly? Well, that's what we intend to find out here in the Buyer Side Chat Podcast. There are scores of podcasts about selling, but most miss the shift that has come upon the buying-selling process. The initiative has since moved from the supply to the demand side the buyer side chat your podcast of record for b2b buying talks to actual buyers persons not personas in the quest to understand the real buyers journey their trials and tribulations challenges and outcomes they're striving for welcome to the buyer side chat thank you for your time and for joining us in this session i have a favor to ask While you continue to listen to the podcast, please leave a comment or rating at iTunes or wherever else you get your podcasts from. I personally look at each comment and will give you a shout out to each of you in our following episodes. It means a lot to hear from you. Just a quick intro to Pitchlink. One of the biggest challenges companies face is the inability to standardize their message to the prospect across a sales team without losing its essence. What sales experts call standardization at the highest level. Basically cloning your best salesperson and her pitch across your entire team, yet ensure it is personalized. Till PitchLink, it was a lot of work, if not impossible. With PitchLink, you can get your best salesperson to build the narrative and then allow your entire sales team to duplicate the pitch with one click and then personalize it using inbuilt video recording and teleprompter. Sales reps can also insert relevant links directly into the duplicated pitch flow to further personalize it for the new prospect. Want to know more? Sign up for a free one-on-one session. Now, on to our guest for today. Today we have with us Thomas Williams, founder and chairman of Strategic Dynamics and author of the books The Sellers' Challenge, How Top Sellers Master 10 Deal-Killing Obstacles in B2B Sales and Buyer-Centered Selling, How Modern
1: Sellers Engage and Collaborate with Buyers. As professional salespeople, we sell change, right? That's what we sell. And yet we're the the worst ones to change. You know, we're creatures of habit. We don't want to change. And I think that's, part, that's the problem, is that it's, it's, we've got this legacy approach to um, a methodology that we've used in the past that was successful in the past, but it's no longer working, and we, and we don't want to change. We just physically, as, as individuals, resist that change, and yet we say to our customers, we want you to change. Uh, it's kind of a paradox, isn't it?
0: Tom is currently the founder and chairman of Strategic Dynamics. The firm helps organizations accelerate revenue generation by improving sales effectiveness. The firm offers new hire and behavioral style assessment tools that specialize in leadership, sales, management, conflict resolution, and communication, buy-sell process mapping, development of sales playbooks, and buyer personas, and several programs based upon two books entitled The Seller's Challenge and Buyer Centered Selling. Now on to this exciting episode with Thomas Williams. Tom, welcome to the show. I am uh, so happy that uh, you are back, uh, albeit in a different show with me. Welcome.
1: Well, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to be back with you today.
0: Tom, before we actually move in and and start discussing how the buyer has changed over the last decade or so, or maybe two decades, uh, tell us a bit about the work you are doing, the books you are writing, the ones you have written. Uh, Give us a sense of who you are.
1: Well, thank you. I think, by way of introduction, you know, the, uh, I'm a lifelong learner. I've been a sales professional uh, pretty much my entire career. I actually, started in sales when I was about seven years old, with a with a cutting lawns and with a lemonade stand. So I uh, I go back quite a long way. Uh, the two books we've written are uh, are buyer centered selling. And the second one is the seller's challenge, and uh, basically trying to to help sellers sell in this tough new milieu and better understand the modern buyer. Uh, the work we're doing today is is working with clients, you know, um, and trying to help them understand how to help how to help their sales forces understand how buyers buy uh, in today's market.
0: That's great. So that sets up the talk for uh, for today. What has changed the the B two B buyer? Is not the same. The buyer has changed. What has changed?
1: Well, I think buyers today are more educated, and more informed. Um, they've researched, informed opinions about your products or services before they've ever re- even reached out to you. Uh, many of them have developed already developed a short list of providers, you know, or at least vendors or suppliers that they they want to have an initial conversation with. Uh, and most of a lot of have developed a set of questions. Uh, to go along with uh, that, that whole process, so sellers today have got to sell it differently. They've got to offer insight and perspective. They've got to collaborate with buyers. They've got to co-create solutions and be more of what I think be more of what we call a concierge that really helps them buy uh, by building consensus while reducing the, the risk that is associated uh, typically with uh, with a large uh, complex purchase.
0: The problem that I see when I'm talking to salespersons is that although we sort of start acknowledging the fact that the buyer is more informed today, the buyer has more information at his disposal today, we continue to sell the same way. Why is that? I mean, there, are, there is enough literature, enough uh, research available, yet there are literally millions of businesses still trying to sell the same way they used to uh, 10, 20 years back.
1: Yeah, you know, it's interesting you, you say that because I've had this conversation with several uh, of my colleagues. As professional salespeople, we sell change, right? That's what we sell. And yet we're the worst, the worst ones to change. You know, we're creatures of habit. We don't want to change. And I think that's part, that's the problem is that it's, it's, we've got this legacy approach to uh, a methodology that we've used in the past that was successful in the past but it's no longer working. And we and we don't want to change, we just physically as as individuals resist that change, and yet we say to our customers, "We want you to change uh, It's kind of a paradox, isn't it
0: and why is that i mean is it a, is it the failure of the sales leadership? I mean, I can understand down the line people who are trying to make quota. They're trying to do anything. I mean, it's it's a very <laughs> complex topic, Tom, as you know. I mean, we'll get into compensation management. We'll get into arbitrary quota setting. And, and I mean, let's not get there today. But all I'm saying is, is it not more of a leadership failure than actually the,
1: the sales force failure? You have to look at leadership and ask the question of, do you understand how buying has changed, and have you realigned your sales organization to that event? I guess I would say it's a sales leadership problem uh, for sure. If the question is, uh, most of these sales leadership are going and following the methodology that they have followed for years. It's one that they're comfortable with. It's one that they grew up with. It's one that was that they were successful with, uh, and so there's a resistance for them to change. Because buyers have changed. And uh, and what's happening typically is where you see is the new startups, they're much more prone to trying something new. Uh, it's the older larger larger and medium sized organizations that resist the change and want to go back to legacy, you know, sales methodology programs and things that work for years, hmm. uh, but they're less effective today or, or ineffective today. Right.
0: What is fueling? I mean, everybody knows that internet has essentially disintermediated many businesses, one of the things it's disintermediated was information, which is what fueled the change in the buyer, right? The buyer was no longer dependent upon trade shows and meeting salespeople to gather his or her intelligence, right? So what, what, what else besides this is actually going on?
1: Well, I think there's a bunch of different things that are going on. One is um, we talked a little bit earlier about increased buyer knowledge. Hmm. There's also a greater number of buyers that are now involved. Uh, they're going through a much longer uh, research stage uh, hmm. to be sure that they're making the right and in, uh, informed decision. I think another one is there. There definitely is a greater reliance on self-diagnosis. We, we see there's much more at a senior level in our practice, where people, again, it goes back to what we used used to do, what worked for us in the past when we were on the field, or when we were a, a regional or a district manager, those types of things. Um, there's also, I think, the formation of more buying committees today. In other words, there used to be fewer people that were involved. Now, let's mitigate the risk. Let's go and look at all the different people that are going to be, number of people or, and all the individuals that are going to be affected by the change hmm. that we're going to make. And let's make sure they're all involved. And so what that does is it increases, you know, our the length of our sales cycle. It, it gives it, 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 by an order of magnitude, we have more people with different perceptions of what they, they, what they want on a personal level and what needs they need on an organizational level to be met. Uh, it takes more time to go and build consensus with those hmm. people. Um, I think we're, um, the younger generation is, looking at, is becoming more and more prominent as B2B buyers. <clears throat> they're looking for trusted sources of information. Hmm. So they're looking more for peer recommendations and testimonials from peers. Hmm. Uh, and then I think the last thing we're seeing is a generational shift, You know, a huge, huge change in uh, the number of buy- B2B buyers that are much younger.
0: Right. Right. Absolutely. And this is in direct contrast. I mean, one side because of the number of decision makers as a part of the buying committee increasing from the two or three to five or six or seven, uh, 7.8. If you remember the one Gartner data somewhere uh, to today up to 20. Uh, obviously, that's lengthening the decision making process. That's working such a uh, in such contrast to
1: the need for your quarterly quota. That's right. Let me give you a couple of statistics that are kind of interesting. Hmm. 42% uh, are under uh, are under the age of 40, and they all grew up with technology, right? Hmm. As today's buyers. And so they're digital natives, you know, and, and their phone is now an appendage, and, and it's a gateway of information. Hmm. And so this means there's a huge generational shift that's occurring in B2B buying, Uh, And organizations and sellers have got to adapt. Hmm. Uh, Another interesting fact is 74% did uh, more than half of their research online before making a purchase offline. Hmm. So there's a greater, you know, dependency upon independent research and self-diagnosis. 65% of of B2B buyers rely on peer information, uh, recommendations and independent review sites because they don't trust it because they do trust those sources more than they trust a typical sales representative. Right. So, you know, so these are really interesting, uh, interesting uh, uh, data points uh, that tell us as, as as leaders, we've got to change, we've got to sell differently than we have in the past. And what's interesting is if as further proof, Look at the percentage of win rates of forecasted deals. Hmm. It hasn't gone more than about 48%, 47%, 48% in the last 15, 20 years, right? The number yeah. of reps that are making quota hasn't changed, you know, in much in the last 15 or 20 years. So the traditional approaches that we're using in sales, whether it's methodologies, the way we're building skills, They're just not working. And so it's time to do something differently and sell in a different way.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, there are so many, so many important points that you just, I mean, the stats speak for themselves. Where do we start to make the change?
1: Well, I think, I mean, I think there's several starting points. I mean, one is we touched on it earlier. Sales leadership's got to change. Yeah. Sales leadership has really got to get to be more involved and more understanding of the modern buyer. <clears throat> Part of that, you know, another aspect of it is we need to link sales and marketing together, you know, in a symbiotic way. I think a third way, a third thing is, is we've got to look at, right now we're all siloed in different departments. Sales, marketing, you know, sometimes sales enablement. You can look at sales operations. They, you know, there's a different ways to structure them but really what we're all talking about is how do we get centered around revenue generation as a company
0: yeah
1: right so yeah. how do we look at and really get everybody that's involved that touches a potentially touches a customer how do we get them involved and understand what the customer's needs are so we're going toward more of an omni channel you know approach to contacting and understanding the buyer once we understand the buyer in our market then we can make the internal changes you know with with the way in which we structure our sales force, with the compensation, with our hiring practices, our training, etc. But I think it starts with those those three things.
0: How how are the buyers from the from the different kind of companies you are working with, and also the research that you did for your book? How are the buyers reacting to this stubbornness to not change, of the sales organizations?
1: Well, I think I think that you know the most typical way they're they they're, they're that they're changing is they're sending more RFPS, right? So they're trying to commoditize the solutions. They're doing self-diagnosis. When they do self-diagnosis, they say we know what to buy, so we're going to just call vendors in late in our process hmm. and ask them to pitch product, or we're going to ask them to do a you know respond to a competitive bid or reverse auction or an RFP, those types of things. Hmm. Um, I think that's one way that we're seeing people people react. Hmm. Um, the smart seller I think gets in early and helps the uh, the buyer to understand the cost of an action they show them you know a difference between their current state and the future state and and show them what the cost of an action is if they don't make a change and then they help them buy and one of the ways you know I think we may have touched on this in the past one of the ways that we help we do that is what we call an outcome enablement plan and really is all it is is a is a, do, a living document that's created by the seller, you know, with modification made by the buyer, you know, to help them develop, you know, what are the key steps and the milestones, you know, key steps or milestones that they should go through in order to make an informed, intelligent decision. And then underneath that, you can determine who are the people of the organization that need to be, they're going to be affected by change, and what are the activities that need to do, and you need to go through to make a change. Uh, we found that that's an enormously helpful document um, because if you think about you know, what when, when buyers make a change or are going to buy something, unless you're making a repeat purchase where you mm-hmm. know exactly what you want, yeah. um, it's a difficult process to go through. It may be a process where... Um, you've never bought this product or service before in your hmm. history. You're, you're a young individual, you've been promoted you never had to buy this before. Hmm. could be that another, another ax, uh, aspect could be is you've bought this before but it's been seven to ten years because that's the, the life you know, of the product or service and things have changed and you don't hmm. know what, we, what you need to know in order to make an informed decision. you could have gone through a merger an acquisition a divestiture, and now there's different people involved, there's different process, hmm. and now you don't understand what's that process, right? Uh, you could have been newly promoted. I mean, I could go on and on with the different you know, iterations of, of, of what could happen, but the bottom line is, is that if you, as a buyer-centered seller, if I said to you, you know, if we we've, if we've had an initial discussion, and I really believe that I can help you, and there is a cost of an action there, I can, I can then approach you and suggest that here's a document that would help you. And I would say to you something like, Hannah, I'm, I'm gonna, I've am i got a document that I can share with you that will help you buy, will determine what the key activities, will work through what those key activities are together, and you can share it with your, your organization, uh, and it will help you make an informed, intelligent decision. And irrespective of whether you buy from me or not, you're going to have this document available to you. I've I've never had anybody turn me down in the last five years. People love it, and it makes it easier for them to buy because it gives them a roadmap. It gives them a template. It gives them an approach of how to navigate all these hot waters. True,
0: true. In a scenario like this, if all the vendors are doing a similar kind of approach, how does that pan out? It's possible that when I offer this to my prospective customer. Uh, my competitor who is also quoting the same customer at the same point of time, because all four or five of us have been brought in by the customer, uh, they also take the same approach. H- how, how do you differentiate at that stage?
1: Well, that's that's interesting. First off, first off is there's very few people doing it. Mm. Uh, that's the first thing I would say to you. And it's probably more prevalent in the software as a service uh, market mm. than it is anywhere else. Uh, so most of the time, I don't I don't come across that. Okay. But but I would say to you, it's the same thing as if you're selling one sales methodology versus another. Right. If you were in the tra- a training business, you differentiate through execution. You differentiate you as a seller and how you interact with that customer. And do you have commission breath, where hmm. all you want to do is get a, is get the order and hmm. sell to them, or do you really want to help the buyer, hmm. you know, buy? And, and are you willing to walk away if your solution isn't the best one for them mm-hmm. and learn to live to fight another day? That's the difference. It's time for a short break. Stay with us. After the break. Uh, I might kind of, I might kind of be employed with that organization 30 or 40 years. My integrity is, is I've got to build up with those customers. You know, the customer base is, is maybe it's going to turn over a bit. So I want to, I want to treat them Well. Um, I think in that situation with that type of individual, uh, building trust and credibility and being honest with their customers uh, is imperative. Now, if I'm a different guy, you know, I'm working the same city, same company, same product, but I sit there and I say to myself, all I want to do is earn commission and in two years I'm going to go work for another company. You know, uh, that's where it becomes more problematic.
0: You are listening to a Business Podcast Network original. Podcasting is the fastest growing content marketing opportunity, which is untapped. We can help you craft your audio strategy and help leverage the wide reach and easy streaming capability that the smartphone penetration provides. It is easy, it is powerful and personal. Talk to us to find out how podcasting can help you build your brand and reach out to your targets like never before. Write to us... At bpn at bizcast.in that is BPN at i-n Business Podcast Network. Podcasts end-to-end. Welcome back. I'm shubhanjan Sarkar, your host for the Buyer Side Chat and founder of Pitchling, the Buyer Seller Engagement Platform. Let's dive right back into the episode with Tom Williams. The ability of a salesperson who is incentivized to sell and get a big chunk of his or her compensation as 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 incentive for that person to say, Okay, I know I understand your requirement, and you know what, you're better off with my competitor X and not with me because I don't think I will do full justice to your requirement. I will go 70% of the way, 80% of the way, but not 100% of the way. And I I think it's not in your interest to invest and engage with me. Uh, I'm going to walk out, withdraw myself from the deal, but I'll be available to you for any inputs that you need, any clarifications that, how many companies actually tell this to their sales folks and and actually uh, reward such behavior?
1: I can't think of one. Yeah. Now, I'm sure there's, you know, and, and I'm sure there are some out there. Sure, yeah, sure. I haven't come across them that where, you know, where there's a de facto uh, strategy or I've, that it's something that I've heard a VP of sales or a chief revenue officer tell their team. I think it's more up to the individual and their, their own personal integrity. You know, the way I look at it, you know, is if I'm going to, if I'm not going to, ch- you know, if I'm, let's say that I'm not changing jobs. I'm going to yeah. stay... I, I, I'm a guy that's, that's uh, I live in a given city, you know, a, wherever it is around the world. I've covered a, a territory, I'm working for a great company. Uh, I, might gonna, I might gonna be employed with that organization 30 or 40 years. My integrity is is I've gotta build up with those customers. You know, the customer base is, is maybe it's gonna turn over a bit. So I wanna, I wanna treat them well. Um, I think in that situation with that type of individual, uh, building trust and credibility, and being honest with their customers, uh, is imperative. Now, if I'm a different guy, you know, I'm working in the same city, same company, same product, but I sit there and I say to myself, all I want to do is earn commission, and in two years I'm going to go work for another company. You know, uh, that's where it becomes more problematic, um, and it becomes more problematic, you know, if a customer, if a company doesn't have a customer success department. Yeah. You know, there's a difference between, I think, you know, um, land and expand, you know, sell the customer a product and expand then through cross-selling and and own more market wallet share with that particular customer. Then, then the philosophy is, is all I got to do is sell to more customers, you know, and if they don't get the results that they want, I need or they want, if I don't deliver the outcomes. No problem, because there's other customers for me to sell to. And unfortunately, that's the way our compensation system is set up in most companies. And so if you don't have an account management uh, program set up or a customer successful program set up where someone else is touching that customer, you get extreme churn. And uh, it's interesting. I did a podcast just a few weeks ago on on Winback, and I explained a, a couple of situations where there was. I went in and worked with a VP of sales and they were being asked to grow at 25% a year, and he was losing 15% and 20% of his customer base. Hmm. So his net was about 5% growth. Hmm. You know, How do you do that? You, know, you, you can't sustain that. Uh, so it, it, it really does make a big difference in how you're structured and what, what behaviors do you want out of your sales organization. I think as we go on, you know, there's, because they're becoming such a, a large discussion around compensation and how salespeople are compensated we're going to see more and more companies go to a different process
0: yeah and before i move on to the next question i just want to mention that i was reading a a report and i think it is richardson where they said that the the white space is in the ability to find more uh, opportunities with the existing customers and not try and go find new customers uh, it, it's it's same land and expand, but for that you have to stick there and deliver on your previous promise, right?
1: Yeah, you, it's pretty pretty interesting, pretty basic, right? If hmm. you uh, if you don't provide you know uh, value and the right de- and delivered outcome to the customer, yeah. you know they're certainly not going to recommend you to other peers or other business units within the organization. Yeah. Uh, so that it goes to it goes to uh, you know common sense at that point. Um, yeah, the white space is a big deal. I think um, you know there's you know, always there's always different ways to grow your your revenue stream. Mm. You know to me, what number one is let's avoid churn. you know mm. If I can avoid customer churn and have customers rebuying for me, that's the be- that's that's the easiest way to, to to build up some revenue. You know the second thing is you always have got to add new logos, right? If you don't add new logos, you're not growing because at some mm. point, uh, you're cross-selling efforts, or even if you get all of it, at some point you're going to run out of you're going to run out of revenue right so you've got to yeah. continue to prospect get new customers but you're right the low hanging fruit and we wrote about this in one of the books is the white space it's really looking at you know what other additional opportunities are there uh, within your customer base because that's the easiest customer to sell to they already know you they know your company they know your product you're already on their, on, uh, one of their approved vendors uh, you're in their accounting system and so it's uh, it's the easiest and best customer to you know to go after and sell.
0: Absolutely. So the, the other point you mentioned a, a, a while back, and I I was talking to the CIO of one of the largest companies in India a few few episodes back, and he was actually talking about the same thing that you have no idea how much influence peer groups have in the final decision. He says that he he told me a story where. A vendor went back home in the evening thinking he's getting the order tomorrow that night this cio spoke to a colleague in another company saying i'm finalizing with these guys what do you think and that guy said hey be very careful because these guys will not deliver on a b c d because i had similar experience with them and and overnight the order which was several million dollars went to somebody else right Uh, so how deep is this peer connection for buyers
1: well i think i think there is a there's a tremendous fear for buyers i mean we we could have a whole do a whole different podcast on just on risk and risk aversion and and risk mitigation uh but yeah i think there's a there's a there's a large number of, of of issues that buyers have when it comes to risk you know there is there i think one of the most important ones is performance issues hmm. you know uh uncertainty will that that vendor deliver right um there's there's performance issues there's uncertainty i think there's always a, a inertia you know that is always one of them uh, excessive hmm. caution should you know is this the right vendor hmm. um you know and we could go on and on with a number of different risks that they go through Um, And ironically, what's interesting is that when I talk with, when I coach salespeople and I ask them, what are the risks that the buyer perceives? I get a lot of blank stares, Mm. you know, or I'll get one or two answers. And I'll say, how do you know what, if you ask the question of, you know, how risky is this, is this decision, Mm. you know, or what risk or concerns do you perceive on an individual level? I mean, what what risk or concerns do you perceive on a collective level? Uh, and unless you identify those up front uh, you you walk away like this individual you think you're getting the order and all of a sudden you get blindsided you know and it was all there we just didn't ask the right questions
0: right 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 so what are the major changes that you see coming in the buying process what do you foresee
1: well, I, I think I think we're going to see buyers become much more cautious than what they already are. I think we're going to see um, much more reliance on third, independent third-party um, data research um, information. Uh, I think we're, that's going to be one. I think a second one is uh, we're going to see. An increased reliance on on buying committees or mm-hmm. buying decision teams, um, and we're going to see more. We're seeing more and more people that are being involved in that decision, and I, and and, it's, and we're going to have to as sellers figure out ways to build consensus uh, to help them make you know, an informed decision. Because most of those those groups, those those committees, are dysfunctional just mm-hmm. by nature. They all have the spirit, uh, goals, and objectives. And, it, and many of our buyers don't know how to bring those to get people together in a coalesced way in order to make an informed decision. And we know from the research that if we try to get it down to an individual level, we're going to fail. What we have to do is focus them on the organizational objective of what is that cost of an action and how does that react back, react back to an organizational priority and if we make them understand that and we get people then to to look to focus not on an individual level, but what's right and what's best for the organization, um, we're going to make better decisions. And so I think salespeople are going to have to learn how to build consensus, you know, and do that. And I think the third thing is we're going to continue to see these investments are very risky. You know, take a look at what's happening today in a supply chain due to COVID. What we're finding is, is the over reliance on one or two vendors, or one or vendors that are in one or two countries, mm-hmm. and you know we never we never looked at you know the understanding of what could happen if that supply chain got disrupted. So yeah. because of those changes, and you know and it's happening, and you're seeing in every industry that has a chip that's involved. Because of that, what we're seeing is excessive caution and much more greater. Uh, higher, We're seeing procurement become much more important uh, in the overall function of an organization. It's going to be a different call point for a lot of salespeople. And some salespeople that sell into public procurement, they're there already. But if you're not in the public procurement side, most sales most people you know, uh, avoid procurement like the plague. You know, And the only, reason, the only way they go there is if they're going to pick up a purchase order. Well, that, that process is changing
0: yeah i think i think you have you have encapsulated the uh, the the scenario very well and i think uh, people need to pay attention if they have to sustain and and i would i would really uh, expect that the leadership which which is there currently and and it's changing of course millennials will be in 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 position maybe over the next decade you'll have more and more millennials taking over the purchase uh, function and things may change there but till then I think if we need to sustain a, a favorable relationship with our customers i think there's a lot that you shared today and people can benefit from
1: yeah if you look at the how the, the buyers are changing and it is, it's generational uh you know older people like you and i have got to change our methods and our, and our approaches it's just because what we used to do you know will work with maybe 50 percent of our market and what about the other 50 percent so, we've got to change.
0: <laughs> Absolutely. The Buyer Site Chat is brought to you by PitchLink, the buyer seller engagement platform. PitchLink enables high quality interactions between buyers and sellers through presentation and discussion modules. Sellers create personalized sales presentations and reach out to prospects through a non intrusive, buyer qualified engagement. PitchLink requires no installation or download and holds the entire repository of sales collaterals and buyer seller conversation. Talk to us to know more about how you can engage with customers without intrusion. Call us on 650-847-5884. That is 650-847-5884. Tom, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I look forward to our next session.
1: Well, thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity to be on your program. Have a great day.
0: We have a fantastic lineup over the next couple of episodes featuring great conversations unraveling in depth how the real buyers buy. Stay tuned. Thank you for being with us today on the Buyer Side Chat. This is the podcast of record for the Buyer Side Journey and those who know that's the journey that matters. We hope this conversation helped you with insights that you can go and apply right now to your own value transaction process. See you in the next episode of the Buyer Side Chat.